0: You're listening to The Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down, or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse.
1: All right, friends, we've got a, another episode and this is a special one. You know, we are in the midst of Advent and we thought, uh, Jared and I, thought about what we could do to have a special Christmas uh, episode and Jared thought about singing Oh Holy Night. I was going to play a piano for him and then we <laughs> scratched that idea because we got two really special folks uh, that uh, decided they would step in and save you all from whatever we were about to do. And so we're really grateful to introduce two friends. Um, First is Kelly Nikandeha. did I say that right? Make sure I get your uh, last name correct. Um, She's a friend that I've made, I don't know how long it's been now, maybe not quite 10 years, but I don't know, this feels like quite a while that we've kind of crossed paths at different points, we have so many common friends, and I really just got to uh, catch up with her recently, but she is a liberation theologian, a community development practitioner, an author, um, and most recently, uh, she published The First Advents in Palestine, Reversals, Resistance, and the Complexity of Hope. Um, And one of the cool things about Kelly once you get to know her is that home is on different sides of the planet sometimes she's in East Africa other times she's in Western United States, Uh, but we're grateful that we've got her here now with us in conversation so Kelly, uh, welcome to inverse podcast and welcome to the Christmas party.
2: Well, thank you I feel like it's a reunion so I'm excited. Mm -hmm.
0: This is fun. It does feel festive. I've even put a festive shirt on. So those who are listening, you can know that I've got uh, a festive Christmas shirt on, which I I guess is a bit different in this part of the world. But Merry Chrissy to all you mob, regardless of uh, whether you're warming by a fire or preparing to go to the beach after seafood, which is kind of what we do um, on these lands now referred to as Australia. But our other half of this exciting conversation, and there's lovely crossovers because uh, there's quotes from um, uh, one of your books in the other. This just feels right. But part of our Christmas gift to our listeners is uh, Jonathan Martin. Aka um, okay, Jono. Okay, w- one of my best mates in the world. And I'll, I'll give proper props as it's due. Us Australians tend to get a little bit casual and just end up making fun of people as a way of saying how much we love them. <laughs> but I will read Jono's bio. Um, the Book of Waiting is Jono's latest gift to the world that we're gonna explore. And there's a quote from Kelly in that book, which we'll get to. Um but you also know Johnno from um uh, The Road Away from God, How to Survive a Shipwreck and Prototype. Um Johnno is currently the director of the Center of Spiritual Life and the Associate Chaplain at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana, in uh Turtle Island, and uh, pastor of Fillmore United Methodist Church. Jono is married to Nicole and um, have four wonderful kids along with Stella and and don't forget Lucy, the cat. The cat doesn't get as much love as Stella on Instagram, but True. cats have feelings too. Um, Jono is such a gift and you've probably caught Jono on uh any number of places: The New York Times, The Atlantic, NPR, Newsweek, Sojourners, Huffington Post, um, uh, a whole bunch of places. Uh, and this is a lovely way to kind of celebrate Christmas for our listeners. So thank you both for being here. This is going to be fun.
3: Thank you so much for for having us. And Jared, just have to say, the reason because now I feel like most everybody in my life calls me Jono. You are the reason for that. Is that you? You with your <laughs> australian gift of abbreviation so you 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 gave me this name and it's you know sticking. how much i love y'all and love the inverse podcast and community i'm especially grateful for this because since i had this really wild idea of releasing a sort of emergency advent book and self-publishing and all that and no more than i've been out there I, i've had maybe two or three opportunities to plug this book anywhere so it's like oh my gosh thank you all so much that you would be willing to have me on to talk about this book and, and a Christmas special, which brings to mind, you know, like something that could be ongoing. I'm just planting that seed, you know, every year a Christmas special. If so Kelly and I definitely <laughs> want to be invited every time. Could be We're a new in. tradition. I'm just saying. We're in. <laughs>
2: Doesn't funny. it feel like you made the big time when you're on a holiday special?
3: <laughs> hey. A holiday special? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Here
2: we are. There
3: are dozens That's of great. people reading this book. A holiday special.
1: That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, that's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, you know, um, for us, a lot of what we like to do is to explore people's story. Uh, we think that stories are powerful. We think that uh, theology, our lived theology, is really tied and flows and emerges out of our biographies. And so, uh, we'd love to hear a little bit about uh, your own stories. And so, Kelly, if you want to start off, I'd be curious to really hear about um, what Christmas meant to you growing up. Like, how would have you understood and made sense of Christmas at an early age, um, as you kind of uh, initially kind of encountered it, experienced it, celebrated it, or maybe avoided it? I don't know, however you experienced um, that season.
2: Sure. Well, I think there were two things that came to mind when uh, I got the question a little earlier about what, you know, what did it mean to me growing up? And I think the first thing comes, you know, uh, out of, I was raised, the bulk of my formation happened in uh, evangelical space. And I remember every Christmas, my mom would have a a white sheet cake. Happy Mm. birthday, Jesus. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And so
0: Kelly, for for those of us who aren't familiar, tell it, what's a sheet cake? (laughs)
2: <laughs> just you know, a plain like a plain single layer birthday cake,
3: big
0: rectangle,
2: oh, okay. big rectangle. All oh, right, okay. That you would cut up and you know hand out at a party. You know, not not like a, a tiered bridal cake, but a, just a straightforward mm-hmm. plain. But it would always say "Happy Birthday, Jesus." <laughs> and so you know that that kind of infused our celebration every year, this idea that it was the arrival of Jesus. That's what Christmas was, the arrival of Jesus into the world and celebrating that birth um, as a birthday, as a party, as a, um, you know, excitement that Jesus has now entered into this space. Um, the other image um, actually pulls from some of my liturgical background because we were in the Catholic Church before my parents made their uh, move. And from that space, the one thing that we did keep was the advent wreath. Mm-hmm. And so the ring of greens, it was always fresh greens because my mother is a florist. So it was oh, a ring wow. of fresh greens and purple and pink candles. One that would be lit every Sunday, the four Sundays of advent leading mm-hmm. to Christmas. Yeah and for me that became that luminous that i you know that sense of the, the the sacred the the light coming into the into the dark world this kind of a more connection a connection to more of the mystical meaning maybe of oh, yeah. Christ, as i grew mm. up but i would say it was very much centered on the arrival of jesus as the light to the world and that would have been kind of what as I started to understand incarnation, um, you know, God infleshed mm. uh, in the world. So that would mm. be kind of what it meant to me growing up.
1: That's, That's- interesting. <laughs>
0: it's kind of a wonderful summary of those two traditions side by side as well. Yes, like yes, a, yes, a, a I love that you described that the cake was so plain and that it was like actually written happy birthday. So just in case you missed it, it's a birthday cake. We're gonna write it on top. If that's not evangelicalism, I don't know what <laughs> is.
2: Nobody was gonna miss that message. That's for sure. Make mother. it
1: plain, make it plain. That's right. That's amazing. <laughs> And it's really good cool. uh, yeah so jano i mean same question um for you i'd be really uh curious to just hear you know what did christmas mean for you growing up you know how did you what were you making sense of this time what experiences encounters memories maybe do you have um around christmas and was there any sheet cake involved
3: <laughs> there was not sheet cake involved and See, Kelly's answer was wonderful and immediately phases into theology. I was embarrassed because the very first thing, as soon as I even started to think seriously about this question, my like overriding memory that beyond anything else is I think I was three or four and my dad had stayed up all night putting together the GI Joe headquarters and coming up to that and which just seems so appropriate to, to, to bring up like yeah. And that sentimental uh, nationalism and militarism <laughs> has served me well to this day. <laughs> it's, like, it's, not, it's not a great theological like, <laughs> interpretation of Christmas. But um, I, I had the thought, really, and I, uh, which is not uh, – because I, I say in the book a bit how, like, I don't come from Advent people. I come from Pentecost people. And mm-hmm. it is interesting because <laughs> I do – when I do think about it in kind of a more theological way – um, and and this is like the Pentecostal tradition in general. Christmas felt like it came out of nowhere just a bit, yeah. and it was meaningful and sort of explosive. It's a thing that happened, but there wasn't necessarily a lot of buildup or or preparation or kind of phasing into that. It's like it's like this this thing that just boom it happens and it's a big deal and, and then it's kind of gone so it wasn't it, it wasn't a season for me then the way it was now it was kind of yeah. felt more like a singular event yeah right
1: yeah no i i definitely get that because i think in my it was it was a yeah, weird true. T- tell us like it's a hear, christmas special like, it's christmas. Yeah, what's yeah. happening like, for me i mean yeah i mean i didn't really think about like how i would set that up for myself but but I do think I can resonate with like the abruptness of Christmas, mm. like in my own church experience. Like, I mean, cause we didn't, we did we didn't have Advent, but we did like the month, like we would sing some Christmas songs, right. Leading mm. up through December. So there's like stuff there. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, and then it's like, here's Christmas. Right. And so it just kind of drops on you. Um, I do think that, Uh, in my family, uh, the biblical story, the stories, right, especially Luke in particular, were very important, Mm. right? And so, Mm. when I'm thinking about like memories, sitting with my family, like my family would read the Luke and story together, right? And Mm. we would kind of, but again, that wasn't a leading up to, it was just like, here we are, we're going to sit with this and kind of experience this together, Mm. along with the commercialism. But I also think family, I mean, when I think about Christmas, I think about, because it was all kinds of family, right? Yeah. And so, I think probably if you had talked to me as a kid and asked me, like, what does this mean? I probably would have just as much said something about getting together with family as I would have said, um, you know, the birth of Jesus and the biblical story, along with then all the festive stuff that was going on all around that was kind of clouding some of that.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, what yeah. about you, Jared? Uh, it's it's
0: so interesting. I'm probably answering this question differently because of the the way that you lot have answered it as well i wonder like for listeners um what this has provoked but the family thing is really interesting for for me drew because um uh, growing up as a kid, it was a one time that like the mechanic clan all got together. Can I use that term, or has it got different associations in the US? Um, maybe people give me the grace of like knowing that clan is a term for family outside of the. I think
1: it can be used multiple invoke. as long as you don't say the clan. Then you're right.
2: Okay. <laughs> 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 but,
1: the, yeah, but a clan. I, I don't want to difference. give people the wrong They're
0: impression okay. about no, that. family. You're good. You're like, good. <laughs> um, uh so like my dad has seven brothers and four sisters. So the McKennas actually coming together was like quite a thing, like the the gathering of um uh, and it w- usually happened at um, my grandparents' place. And it, it, meant, it meant a journey that I didn't realise um, as a little kid, but to the poorest neighbourhood, the neighbourhood that everybody made fun of in my city. <laughs> That's where my grandparents lived since they migrated to Australia. Um, and all of us coming together. And we didn't get presents because, like, literally there's like over 30 cousins, like first cousins on just my dad's side of the family so we got a two dollar coin from each family and so you would um in Australia there's two dollar coins which might surprise people elsewhere but um the these coins stacked up from all these different families it it was like you could have the most amazing time at time zone like uh which is like a video arcade place (laughs) with with all these coins and you you left with this like bag of people you're like uh which which uncle is this because all my dad's brothers look the same and you get uncle's names wrong and you're um re-meeting cousins because some of them you haven't seen since last time you were there and um so that was part of the experience um it was also the time of year that like kelly's family um uh there might be like might be going to mass usually midnight mass um uh But I I also grew up with a sense that some Christians are crazy when it comes to Christmas. Like there was one family friends who were um, a part of a church uh, that my parents were a part of when we were really little who didn't have a Christmas tree and um, wouldn't sing Christmas carols and wouldn't get presents because they wanted to be like faithful to the Bible. I just remember Mm. going... That sucks. Like that, that's no fun. Um, my dad's family are heaps more fun um than than you lot. And so there's there's some of the kind of complexities. But yeah, it was it was a big part of um toys. Jono, interestingly enough, um I was never allowed to play with G.I. Joe's as a kid because we were a Christian family. Wow. Um, and, and so mum and dad would be like, no, that's, I was never allowed guns as a kid. Um, so I still tease my mum about that. I was like, look, mum, uh, I know you're upset um, or worried about me getting arrested this time. Uh, but really, this is your fault because you wouldn't let me play with guns as a kid. So there's a little picture of some of the complexities.
1: That's great.
0: That's amazing. So let me open up for, for us a lot. Um, when it comes to christmas now how has this evolved kelly maybe we'll start with you what is christmas for you now um i know that you're also a mum and part of um uh, several cultures in at least two places in the world uh, i'd be interested to hear kind of what does christmas look like in those different places that you inhabit um and and what What does Advent and Christmas kind of do um to you and in you um annually as uh, that rolls around in the calendar?
2: Well, I'll ease in by talking a little bit about what Christmas in Burundi is like. So Burundi hmm. is a small country in East Africa. Um, it borders um Rwanda has similar uh, same two tribes and uh, similar. Tribalism is is part of their their history. So, if you're familiar with Rwanda, you at least have a taste of what Burundi is like. And um, my husband, Claude, grew up in extreme poverty. You know, less than a dollar a day, kind of poverty. His dad was a pastor, and uh, he was one of third. My husband was one of thirteen kids. Mm. And um, for him, you know, he always said, you know, Christmas was. The big deal about Christmas was that all the church ladies would get together and cook for the a few days leading up to Christmas. And at the end of the service, everybody would stay at the church and have a meal that included meat. Mm-hmm. Because they were so poor most of the time, meat was not part, you know, it was mainly beans or just cassava with some very thinned out tomato sauce day in and day out. Mm. And so the big thing was we're all together, and we're going to have our service, and we're going to sing Christmas songs, and we're going to to have a meal that would include um, meat with a fresh, rich tomato sauce, not thinned Mm. out. So when he came... Tank came to the States the first year that we were um, engaged, um, and, of course, my mother's a florist, so the house had poinsettias and tr- multiple trees and, I mean, just Christmas on steroids and tons yeah, of yeah. gifts. Now, I'm an only kid, so when you look at a tree that is, like, full, it's like, there's only me, <laughs> you know, like, it was over the top, and... You know, it it was really overwhelming for him. So quite quickly, we made a decision together, trying to pull our two cultures and our two understandings of Christmas together, and decided uh, that we would not do a Christmas tree in our home. Um, You know, we would go and celebrate Christmas Day with my parents, so we'd get to enjoy my mother's lovely decorations. So we weren't anti decor but we would enjoy what she did, but in our own home, we would do something more similar to what he was familiar with, which was no tree and keeping it very simple. Um, not, we obviously we would give gifts to our kids, but very simple. Um, the, the focus really was just enjoying each other's company. So our Christmas is actually very different than the mm. kind of Christmases I had growing up. Um, so, that's, you know, just a little bit of biography, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful.
2: Um, I think now I've been, I really have been like working this question over all day long, um, thinking about it. And, you know, I'm glad you're asking me first because I think then Jonathan will bring us back up to maybe a higher note. But I feel like for me, Advent um, and Christmas, just have such a darker vibe mm-hmm. and older. And um, what, I mean, if I were to say, what does Christmas mean to me now? Like this week, like today, um, I really think that Christmas is a, is a critique. These Advent texts that we've been gifted by Luke and Matthew a a huge critique of our understanding of peace Mm. and Mm. and i feel like when it's held up to us we're failing as humanity over these centuries that we have failed to innovate peace beyond what herod did in bethlehem and the surrounding villages well you know killing the innocent children and family members that would try and protect them. If you look at what's happening in Gaza today, we have not moved forward. And I think Jeremiah and Isaiah, I mean, I think I could just hear Isaiah haranguing. You were still reaching for guns instead of garden tools. You haven't yet innovated past that. I would have thought by now you guys would have gotten further or, you know, Jeremiah, you know, saying, gosh, Mother Rachel knew that her children yeah. were going to yeah, come yeah. home. And yeah. you guys are still solving problems with violence where innocent lives are lost. You haven't innovated to the place where Mother Rachel gets her children to come home. Hmm. Like I just feel like it's a huge critique of yeah. what we have accepted, um, how we have normalized Caesar's peace and haven't really followed I mean, I think the most amazing peacemaker in these stories is Mary. Mm-hmm. And we really haven't followed her example. Mm-hmm. So I guess I have a very, especially this year, I just feel like, oh, mm-hmm. huge critique of, of us. And um, I don't like our definitions of peace. Yeah, I don't think yeah. we've addressed nearly
0: yeah. so. powerful
2: so sorry for for bringing us down but in advent i often go dark
0: (laughs) yeah no me too you're not you're not doing anything that both the text and the tradition doesn't do kelly so thank you for your faithfulness Jono. for you what's evoked for you
3: well far from kelly trying to bring it up or, or change the the tune Strangely, the, the comfort I find right now in Advent and Christmas is there's space for all this, for all the darkness and all the ambiguity and all the longing that I need. And there's there's permission to name that and not to prematurely resolve it. Um, the I feel like now... Well, I don't. I don't preface this all. Just this is this is just what immediately um, comes to my heart because I don't think even in in writing this, whatever it is, it's it's been so wild. I don't think I knew what I was doing when I was doing. I don't think I realized really until kind of the other side. So the person who most has marked my life and does you know me, I always talk about her sister Margaret Gaines. Who Mm. and 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 I don't know where this came from for her because. She's a Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, so Pentecostal woman from Pell City, Alabama. I actually don't know how a white Church of God lady from the South, in becoming a missionary to a boot village in the occupied West Bank, starting a church and school, I have no idea how she came into Advent, because it's just not in our tradition. We don't, it's, Hmm. you know, a lot of wonderful gifts, but Advent, Lent, those are not really things that we do. But Margaret, uh, many years ago, while pastoring that little church, not only became fond of Advent, but she started preaching through the Advent candles every year. And she wrote a tiny little book. It's more like a booklet about it uh, called Meditations in the Advent Wreath. I think she did that probably somewhere around 2000. Y'all, I'm quite certain I never thought about Advent at all Mm. until I read that that little book from margaret wow so this pentecostal woman who stumbles into advent and all of that kind of jams into being in her palestinian community um it's from her that i feel like i i, I was brought into advent at all or the, or the tradition mm-hmm. at all which is so interesting to me now because and kelly i'm so glad you already said this you can't think about Advent and Christmas without thinking about Mary. Of course, it's about Jesus, but it is in so many ways. This is Mary's story. And Margaret was this mother of, uh, or this daughter of Mary, rather. She is mother too, but a daughter of Mary who lived where Jesus lived, and I think in so many ways lived um, uh, what what Mary lived. And I think it's precisely, you know, just the, these memories of, of her and who she was and is in the Communion of Saints, um, that really shapes how I think about all these things now. But I, I totally resonate with what Kelly uh said is that it kind of feels like this year I feel like advent feels like room to to scream. And mm. and I'm really grateful that it the church calendar design, designates space for that. Mm. Yeah, well.
2: But well, we're not so far apart after all.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely.
2: Yeah. Drew,
0: um... Yeah. Sorry, Kelly, you go.
2: Well, I was thinking today about Mary. And, uh, hmm. right, Mary grows up in this hard, you know, the Galilee was a restive region you know, Rome was leaning hard. There were always garrisons of soldiers and protests and funerals, and there was always things popping in the Galilee, not unlike the West Bank today. And I, Mm -hmm. she was formed by this geography, right? Toughened up, you know? And um, she saw what Caesar's peace looked like, man. She Mm -hmm. saw how it daily humiliated her uncles and cousins and dad, and she saw how um, the women were often you know, abused or uh, threatened, and like she knew what it was like to live on the underside of Caesar's empire. She had no, like she had no um, shiny thoughts about what empire was or what the Pax Romana was for somebody like her and her neighbors. And then an angel comes <laughs> and says, "You know, God's going to overshadow you." And like, what is? What is? I mean, she would have had no, like, what is this? And and I think she was willing to improvise in the most, like talk about unprecedented. I do not know what it means when that's got to overshadow me, but I'm willing to put my body in it, my reputation mm. in it, my future viability as a person in my community. I am willing, I am all in for anything that is contra Caesar's peace. I mm-hmm. am to improvise with the spirit for anything that might look different. Um, than what I have lived so far. And I think that's the kind of innovator I want to be. I wish I was. I I see bits of it in you, Jared, when I watch you and how you operate. And I just think, you know, that if, if, if more of us would lean into that, we might, you know, that's the kind of piece I wish we were more willing to risk rather than just variations on Caesar's piece, but mm-hmm. rather really risking the way that Mary did, like, I'm all in, I have no idea what this is going to look like, how it's going to turn out, but I am willing to try, you know, and mm. I just, I think we don't give her enough credit for being such a brave, innovative peacemaker.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think we can understand who Jesus grew up to be all the more richer once we understand who who raised him. Yeah. Mm. Drew, we we didn't plan this, but um, the initial question um, uh, we responded to, did you want to respond to it? Like, maybe let me make it as specific as this season. Uh, I know that you finished marking and uh, uh, there's a little bit of a a pause for uh, academics um, this time of year in in your hemisphere. Um, uh, But Advent Christmas for you this year, what's it evoking?
1: Well, I did. Um, there was a, a church um, about 30 minutes drive out that two weeks ago had me come and preach on peace for Advent for them. And so I did write wow. an Advent sermon. Um, and I guess that um, in some ways it's it's not anything like completely new in terms of like how I've been thinking about Advent, but it it is in resonant with um, what Kelly was saying in terms of um you know I playing off of the peace on earth, right? Mm. Um in Luke, mm. um, thinking about a vision of Shalom um hungering and thirsting for this other world, right? For a Messiah, a king, um mm. that will come and deliver. Um and so I kind of talked a little bit about how um both Matthew and Luke are it it's crises, right? It's one, it's genocide, right? Um, And the other one, it's empire surveillance and for the purpose of exploitation, right? Um, And that those are the backdrops. And I was preaching particularly to, it was a majority white, middle-class, progressive, progressive evangelical-ish kind of congregation. Um, And even, it was interesting because the, which I didn't mind, but the the pastor she she warned them ahead of time before I got up. Um, like this might be a little mm-hmm. bit different than what you're used to. Embrace yourselves, and we lean in and stuff, and all this whole thing and stuff. Because um, I think um, she just knew I was coming from a slightly different. Because I I tied it to a lot of what's going on both domestically in terms of just. Um, the economic disparities, the racial violence, the, all the different things that are going on in our society that are um, leaving people feeling pressed and, and, and crushed. and But then also talking about Palestine, what's happening globally. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of thinking about these crises that, um, you know, here's the Holy Family um, on the move, on the fly. um trying to survive, trying to just exist, right? Um, and how do we enter into that? And what does it mean to be in solidarity as peacemakers in the midst of worlds where people's actual lives are under threat, where mm. um, circumstances are actually dire, where people are, yeah, loved ones are lost. Um, where We're entering into that kind of blues suffering, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And I think that, for me, I I can't understand incarnation God with us outside of thinking about empire, thinking about these big ideas, but then thinking about what does it actually mean for us right now? What are the ways that we're actually experiencing that? Or, for some of us, maybe uh, recipients, beneficiaries of these systems Mm -hmm. um, that are actually crushing others as well. And so, I think there's an opportunity to anticipate and look for God's coming, um, but as a call that invites us to subvert even our own lives and our own complicity and our own um yeah, the ways that we are actually working anti Christ and what mm-hmm. what we're called to. Yeah.
0: Powerful. Yeah.
1: How about you, Jared?
0: You know, um Noah is is three and Gophers is one. Mm. And um, this is the first time I've done, like I have five boys, um, but three of them I haven't done the baby stage with. Mm. And so going through that and um, Noah loves Christmas carols and he asks for um, them on a daily basis mm. and um, he he plays with the nativity. So we've had to set up our Christmas tree every day in this season because he pulls all the ornaments off and and lines them up um uh like uh, on the shelf and he uh gets like little dinosaurs and puts them around the native so there's dinosaurs and whales and orcas and like um all around the nativity scene and kind of experiencing this season through the eyes of um, because it, it it is such a dark story, but the darker the story is, the more that the light um, that this story witnessed to shines brightly. And it's been interesting um, seeing it through his little eyes and elements of the stories, like even just seeing... Um, you know, whether it's the giraffes and the killer whales and the sharks around the nativity scene that he has set mm. up, that this is good news for all of creation, that this is an ecological um and hearing him sing things that like him sing joy to the world, um, and his speech is a, a little delayed. And what he catches, the lyrics he catches and what he doesn't. And I just find myself tearing up. Mm. And I think part of it is this is him entering into the story. And it's not the, is it flat cake? Is that the term you? Yeah. yeah. Sheet cake. Sheet cake. Sheet cake. It's not the, the sheet cake. Um, uh, it, it's, it's not words, um, uh, but instead, it's it songs and, um, like I think it was Saint Francis who actually invented the nativity, um, uh, for people to enter in and experience it, uh, for themselves and him daily playing with that. And, uh, there's a, there's a movie that Oprah voices a camel. Um, I can't remember, but he, the star. Um, and he, he's loved during this Advent season, um, and little Goffy too, watching, um, this, uh like telling of uh the the birth of christ from the perspective of the animals and so watching watching that and um also just like watching the news and the reality of what you know children are experiencing in sudan or in gaza or in yemen or um in ukraine like we could go on and on and like um and watching it through the eyes of this little one who doesn't realise how dark the darkness is, um, nor how bright this light is, um, but does realise something with a kind of simplicity and open-heartedness and joy that he wants to dance and sing things over and over and over again, and mouth words that he he doesn't understand or can't pronounce yet. And yet, um, joy to the world is has got him on his feet and up and about and grabbing his little brother and holding his hands and jumping up and down while they're singing this, while they put um <laughs> their little animals around the nativity. That's kind of what advent has been for us this year and um it, it is making it, it is almost um uh like digging out deeper wells um for sweeter water yeah during this time that it is also so difficult mm-hmm.
1: um, That's good. thanks for sharing that jared well you know i think um obviously people's experiences of Christmas and Advents is so varied. Um, but I think for certainly in the United States, many people, even who do have Advent experiences, still engage in a pretty domesticated, you know, experience. Um, and certainly Christmas certainly has been commercialized and capitalism is running amok. Um, and so, you know, I think there's always a look for resources that help people um, enter into, uh, you know, just a, a deeper significance, right? So that they can see in the midst of all the darkness, the light that shines bright. Um, and so I know that both of you have written really powerful resources that are really just a gift, um, that people can walk with and journey with to kind of, um, kind of, uh, enter into the story themselves, right? Not just to know the story, but to experience the story and the implications it has. And so we would love to hear a little bit about um, how you understand what you're doing right, in that book. Um, What can people maybe anticipate and look for um, as they grab these texts and and, um, use them to kind of deepen their own kind of Advent experience? So Kelly, if you want to start us off with sharing a little bit about uh, your book.
2: Sure. Uh, Well, I, you know, I I wanted to lean into, as I call it, my Advent ache. Mm -hmm. And I I think I originally leaned into the gospel texts for reorientation, to be realigned. Mm -hmm. And so this book really came out of that desire to kind of get out of that darkness and realign myself with, you know, the light of the Advent wreath and the, you know, the christmas i grew up with and and what i discovered was that actually my sense of the darkness and the heaviness was actually deeply congruent mm. with the, what was happening on the ground the the centuries of jewish suffering that were the predicate to what the gospel writers would tell us about about the mm. arrival of jesus and So that cracked open for me a different um, engagement with what both Luke and Matthew gave us in what I call the Advent narratives. And, you know, some of that was, right, I was gifted a very harmonized version of the story. Right? Where you have Joseph and Mary and Jesus and the animals and the star and the magi all, in, all, there,
1: yeah. all
2: there at once. <laughs> but actually, Luke and Matthew have very very different stories and and it's different. In th- th- that isn't actually what they gifted us. Um, mm. And so looking at Luke's story and what he wanted us to see, you know, an exploitive, violent economy as well as imperial dynamics yeah looking at what matthew wanted us to see in terms of violence and genocide and displacement and 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 really trying to to grapple with those um and and then to then say well i want to understand the people and the place and the politics of palestine in the first century Mm. and now yeah and, and actually the way in which each of them kind of speak to and unlock things. You know, it was seeing what was happening in the West Bank with Ahead to Mimi in the last set of years that helped me see Mary in the mm. Galilee in a different way. Yeah, wow. I like, But it was seeing what was happening on the ground with Matthew and, and in Bethlehem and the massacre that helps me see and understand the nature of violence that I see in Gaza now. Right, right. There was this mm-hmm. back and forth so I think that for me, that was really the exploration of the book was to take these two um, narratives seriously and to take the politics and the place of Palestine and her people seriously. Um, yeah. and, and to see, as you know, the reversals, the resistance and that hard-born hope um, that these stories do give us. But you got to work for it. That hope isn't, you know doesn't come quite as easy as a sheet cake you know it's more of a you <laughs> really do have to lean in and want it like mary oh wow yeah
1: john jonathan Jado, <laughs> um yeah. can you share about your book and what we can expect what what can readers um uh, look for or what are you entering them into as they enter into your your text
3: well, Drew, I take by way of transition because um, uh, Kelly has written such a a wonderful book. The uh, the the quote that I used in mine mm-hmm. um, to open chapter fourteen in my book, Advent is not immediate; it's a slow piece. God's Advent was the start of something profoundly good—a good we still labor to realize today under different regimes, different religions and different attempts at peace. that whole, but that idea that advent is not immediate it's a slow peace but this is a story that keeps being told that keeps retelling us regime after regime empire after empire generation after generation mm-hmm. um, when the last time the last time i was in that part of the world was in 2017 when sister margaret died i came to speak at her memorial service there in Abood, and while there was not uh, a genocide, there was uh, terrible conflict troubles that even then shut Bethlehem down that year, which of course devastates the economy for a year. But one of the really special experiences I had that time was um, that I've been thinking a lot about, and is in the book to to, to come from the question. I know the first time that I was there I I felt bad because I was a little underwhelmed by the holy sites, not by the whole experience, by the holy sites. Like, I would be at the Sea of Galilee, and I could imagine Jesus being on the shore, and that moved me. But I remember at the time, there was so much bustle and activity and souvenirs everywhere that I just, I couldn't quite place myself there. And as haunting as it was to be in Bethlehem and it be that empty, going to the uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulcher and... You know, the mm-hmm. traditional site where Jesus is born, and that's I think that was something that shifted too was that I, I think the first time I was a little in my head about, well, we don't really know the historicity of these places, and you just like the the tomb is disputed in terms of where you know where uh, where do we locate resurrection. I think by that point, I didn't care about it any anymore. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. for thousands of years now, Christians have walked down this grotto carrying all their hopes and fears. This is a holy place, whether or not the Christ child pooped in this spot <laughs> you know it's kind of irrelevant <laughs> to it, but I was just I was brought into it in a whole mm. in a whole different way but the but the thing that also hit me hard even then was uh, you know of course it's right beside that spot in the grotto you've got the cave of the holy Innocents, which mm. the idea is that, I mean there's all these it's it's horrible I mean all of these tiny bones fragments of bones from children which are said to be um, from Herod's slaughter of, of the infants. And I remember even then kind of not knowing how to reconcile. How, how do you enter into the joy of this one birth? And what what does yeah. that even mean? What good does it do when there's a room full of bones here? And mm-hmm. that just, that keeps coming back around to me now, this sort of like what what good is this birth when there's this much carnage and pain and Mm -hmm. and loss and trying to trying to do something with all that i think ultimately though the way that i'm attempting to i'm not working out but even just talk about this in the book um i really didn't know i think in uh in starting this little project how much it really was about sister sister gains and how Mm -hmm. Whenever I talk about Mary, I'm talking about Margaret. And when I'm talking about mm-hmm. Margaret, I'm talking about Mary, our, our, our mate, Chris Green, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. was one of the only people. And I, I'm telling you, this was days before it came out. Chris texted me about something else. I was like, hey, I've been working on the Advent Project. You want to see it? He ended up writing a forward. This all happened like 48 hours. And Chris saw it before. He was like, do you realize how much this is about Margaret? I had to go back and revise things through that framework when I saw, okay, how much this is really about. Mm, about yeah, her right. and and i think to i think what's going on there for me i mean i i have a chapter in the book called god kicked inside her and uh, th- this was one of the spirit things i feel like was happening even there's uh just this couple of brief conversations with chris i said not really thinking because chris in his wonderful forward talks about eddie hilsom who of course has these very profound uh, mystical experiences of God in Auschwitz, and it's all mm. so moving and 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 terrifying, and like all the things. But she, um, I, I, I said to Chris that I realized in thinking about Margaret that she is the is the person I've known most in my life. That I would also say, God kicked inside her. Mm-hmm. It felt like that that was also her lived experience. And Chris brought up something that if I'd heard this, I'd forgotten that Eddie Hilsom actually writes in her diary about feeling God kick in her belly. She was embarrassed by it. Like she felt like it was too wow. intimate and how it having that experience made her a kneeler in training. It's in that same section that she talks about, like essentially saying to God, I know you're not going to swoop in and and save us. I know you're not going to help us but we can help you. And uh, I, I just, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just chilling. And I, I really just think that, that sort of surrender and yieldedness and defiance and resistance, <laughs> Margaret was the person that embodied all those things for me. And yeah. uh, it, in a way that sounds, this sounds really over the top, but I do, uh, it is really what I feel about this. It almost feels like Margaret's intercession in this time is what pushed me out the door on this. I I've been like everybody else, just kind of sitting with my own feelings about all of the things and you don't know what to say or how to say it. And I think the only thing I, I know to say or would want to say is, is Margaret. It's like her life, her story, yes. her experience. That's, that's all I have yeah. to say about any of it is, is kind of through her and about her. So, uh, in that way, it very much feels like it's, it's about advent at large, but it is very much about this season in particular, and how we, if not make sense of it, find some way to fit it into some kind of a broader a broader story
0: mm. yeah. both what you're sharing is doing so much in me, and just to confirm kind of like um, what what advent has been. I mean, Drew, you, you sharing about your sermon and almost like the, the disclaimer that people have to do if you're going to hear gospel truth at this time of year um, and the kind of offence that that causes to um, uh, some of the consumer escapism. That leaves so many people um, in debt and in another cycle of anxiety as the year starts, um, both financially, but also the social pressures of, like in Australia, this time of year has the highest rate of domestic violence. Mm. Um, uh, women are more likely to die at the hands of their intimate partner in our nation at this time of year than any other time of year.
3: Mm.
0: And, um, it's those realities that so much of the kind of, um, Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer jingle bells kind of stuff seeks to avoid. Mm. And I'm fascinated that like, I'm sorry to go back to my own experience, but my little Noah, that's not the songs that he wants to sing. And I find that so interesting. Like, what are the songs that we want to sing at this time and why? Um, If you indulge me, uh, part of the connections that's coming up for me, Drew, after, like, Kelly and Jono sharing about their projects and the gift they are. And, Kelly, I need to tell you that before jumping on this call um, this morning, I was on the phone to um, friends from Aotearoa New Zealand who Mm. were organising marches um, that... Uh, will go the length of gaza um, in their part of the world Um, and so organizing christians to actually march the length of gaza um, as a a prayerful awareness of the suffering of what the people are doing and on their bedside table as they pray and they um, learn what it is to kneel in response to the kicks of god they're feeling within them um, is your book and it, it's your book that is opening up their reading of scripture. Um, and I, I, I just, I want you to be aware, um, like there, there is a certain chemistry between both your offerings and, yeah. Jonah, the urgency of, of what um, you have birthed in the world in this season um, that seems so, um, and I know some of us um, with particular neurological diversities that you and I share. This is the way that we seem to operate regardless. But there is on top of that, there is on top of that, like an extra blessing. Like it, it, it seems like the the spirit has anointed our particular wiring um, uh, to, to be primed for emergencies so the world can receive what others are sometimes slower to actually take up. And um, Uh, What I've been preaching on, um, and uh, Kelly and I hadn't talked beforehand, but what I've been preaching on this Advent is Mary. Mm. And um, my first message started with, like, uh, the experience of stepping into an Orthodox church and why you see Mary with her hands raised at the front um, uh, of uh, every Orthodox church um, with the Christ child um, in side her literally inside her is that mary is the icon of every disciple um that we too at to a step into this yielding uh th- this surrendering um the this let it be with me um that mary exhibits which is fierce and ferocious and, mm-hmm. and a real alternative and a, a an alternative way to respond to the world that um wants to uh, fit us into ways of responding that perpetuate the problems that we're facing. Yeah. And Mary is the invitation to actually allow Christ to be held within us and birthed through us. Mm-hmm. And I just find it fascinating that this continues to be what God is bringing up mm-hmm. in me this season. And the the importance of, um, I mean, it's that Meister Eckhart quote from the 15th century about uh, w- what good is it... Um, for Christ to have been birthed way back when. I'm paraphrasing now. um, If Christ is not also birthed in us today. uh, And that's not to take away from the historicity, but to make the historicity ours in such a way that we birth it. And both your projects like are calling us into that reality of taking up the story, being immersed in the story and allowing the story to move through us in ways that are anointed by the spirit. That animates the story, and that is a gift. Thank
3: you.
1: And I was thinking, Jay, you were, you mentioned um, you were talking about like Rudolph and all these other songs, but it's even some of the Christian Christmas songs that actually turn us away, also, right?
0: Ooh, say more, Drew. Say more. That's, uh,
1: that's one of the. That's actually one of the things I started off my sermon about. Was just like that. Even the. Christian songs are actually they, they sound, just they rhyme with the biblical story just enough <laughs> that you think you're actually working with a biblical story, but it's an alternate that actually domesticates all of empire, the suffering, all of that, right? And so, it, and he, I, I think about like the skits and plays and all these things and you got innkeepers and all these things that aren't even in the story, right? We just make mm. stuff up after a while, <laughs> but like, but at the end of it, what has happened is, is that we have a very domesticated world in which suffering is not a reality in which yeah. we just have warm, fuzzy feelings. Right. And so we're saying the name of Jesus. We might mention shepherds and they're maybe they're all being brought The wise men and the shepherds are all there together, whatever. Uh, But we haven't entered into the story. And so what Mm. I really appreciate about what Kelly and and John, I want to call you John every time now, Um, (laughs) but what they've invited us into. I mean, like Jonathan's been talking about like embodiment, right? It's somebody who actually embodied the good news, right? And we need that. So we need both Mary's witness and then we need... uh, Mary like witnesses in the world today. Um, mm-hmm. and if we don't actually see that, uh, people who are not just caught up by the domesticated accounts and the fuzzy feelings and the alternate Christmas story, again, a Christianized but yet watered-down domesticated Christmas story, uh, then how are we going to um have that birth of Jesus in our lives and yeah. we're witness to so that? that story is erupting right in our own neighborhoods, in our own communities um, in ways that really are necessary. Yeah.
2: Well, and that's why I think when I returned to the texts in earnest, I was so surprised. There was generational trauma. There yeah. was violence, There was economic duress. There was like, I was like, wow, like, it's Luke and Matthew, like, but they want us to, like the texts are right. vibrating. And I was like, right. I recognized that world. Like it mm-hmm. actually made it more relevant like oh this is speaking to the world that I live in and That's right. You know, it it's we domesticate to protect ourselves and yet mm-hmm. the vibrancy and the the deep invitation of the text to me stood out the more that I listened to what they were actually saying mm-hmm. without right without the sheen or the gloss just but I was listening, there was something in our conversation. And it's probably a combination of all three of you, but the last couple of days I've been thinking about the the mother-child narratives, right? We have Isaiah and the, the right Emmanuel, the mother and the the child that's crowning and is going to be born. And you know that that's a picture from Isaiah. And then we have the actual mother and child in these mm-hmm. narratives. And then we have the children. In, in Matthew's narrative that that are lost, and I was like, what you know, what children symbolize, right? Of course, vulnerability mm. and reliance on adults. And but there was something in our conversation with the three with the four of us that I thought, you know, maybe that's part of the invitation. The fact that Jesus, that God enters as a child, means mm. we the adults around him had to take those initial steps. Mary had to, Joseph had to, the people, ara- they had to step in because even though this was God with them, it was a God in, as a baby who could not do anything, lead. Yeah. Anything. You guys have to see this child and <clears throat> intuit, discern, improvise, mm. Eventually he will grow and participate, but it's almost like you guys get a head start in having to lean in and be participants, active participants mm. in this new thing I'm doing. And I, there's something, I don't know which one of you yeah. said, you crystallized that for me, but I've been thinking, I was like, yeah, that's the Christ child actually is the ultimate invitation for us to step in and start.
1: Mm. Right yeah because so then the child good.
2: will join us the child but we we are expected to, yeah. we are expected to participate with god
1: you yeah.
2: know i've never thought about that before
1: and it's such a contrast to this passive right thing yeah. that that's we just, right we just receive on yeah. our butts armchair mm-hmm. um and i think that that's a powerful invitation of the mm-hmm. god expects us to participate in this mm-hmm. work and to share mm-hmm. and to vent i mean what you're the imagery that you're giving is really powerful just in terms of the risk taking the the stepping the unknown um and yet we must collaborate with god maybe even go ahead at times in ways that are unclear where you mm-hmm. know, the fog that we're making our way through even when it's uncertain um where we're going that's yeah, yeah. A powerful image
3: i was what thinking well, Kelly, you uh, in your book, and I feel like in several things you've said already, one of the ways that you bridge these contexts for us is the insistence on kind of the materiality and the physicality of these real humans in this story. Um, I, I say kind of jokingly in my book about well, like the no better way to sort of sterilize a life than. You refer to somebody as the Virgin Mary for two thousand years, not to question the virgin birth, but just the idea that she's known <laughs> as the Virgin Mary. But it becomes <laughs> become characters; they're not, yeah. they're not, not, not yeah. human beings in that way. And I think right. when when we allow there to be these stories to be enfleshed, and I, I you know, this um, Kelly, you gestured here earlier, and, and Jared drew both a flake your own with is sort of that. I mean, Mary is such a in the text. I think you get that sense of I, the handful of people I've been around and, I, you know, who I really have felt like are like, wow, these are saints. And Margaret level is such a saint. The the most common thread uh, for me has been this this unique cocktail of tenderness. Um, this kind of, uh, Chris and I talked about this, even this kind of infinite tenderness, but also a fierceness. I mm-hmm. mean, Mary in the text, I love that when the angel yes. does come and make this proclamation that she's perplexed by it. And I'm she wondering. says, thank you. I'll go think about that. Yeah, She ponders. <laughs> it. She does ultimately <laughs> surrender, but she's like, oh, I'll have a moment, please. I will take it under <laughs> consideration. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So her, yes. So it's like even the way that she participates is not just like the servile, like, you know, it's very, yeah. it's conscious and it's um, awake and yeah. It's human and all the things. And I just, so I just, uh, t- to me, there's something too, when we locate the story again in these particularities of real lives, how mm. how much more so then that's able to bridge context in our time so that the story also becomes a resource for our real lives and real things are happening in the world that aren't so plastic and performative and, and distant the way that Christmas can so often become.
0: Mm. And I, I'm i so aware that there are, there are some um, what might seem a bit um sterile cold um uh, more common in in liberal circles where the text is dissected in such a way that um almost in response to the sentimentality that um, drew has pointed out with some of the christmas carols that actually point away from um the the revolution that we're being invited into uh, there's ways of dividing up the text, so um, we we miss that it's actually a reflection on Jesus' life, and particularly the, this strange power that we see um, released at Calvary and is ours in the resurrection. And yet, there there are more um, ancient ways of. Not losing any of those insights, but incorporating them again in our bodies, in who we are as a people. Um, Kelly mentioned right at the very beginning, this is almost the mysticism of Christmas is um, discovering what the incarnation means that God um, uh, took on flesh and joy to the world. The Lord is come, not has come. But is come it's a present tense it's right now god wants to do it in us right now and in that sense that um w- what we see at calvary um is both the pax romana of here's the peace that rome brings it looks like crushing anybody who stands against it but also here's the peace that god brings that is completely opposed and it it, it is hanging vulnerable upon that tree, which is like a human billboard that there is no truth other than what the empires of the day will bomb us into believing.
2: Mm.
0: And the the extended propaganda and the sponsored tours for pastors to come back and on their social media show photos of sitting alongside and um, developing empathy for one people over and against another. And these are these are ancient ways of telling stories that overpower the vulnerability of um, uh, this child that our hope is contained in. And if we can if we can draw the connections as Dr. King did in his final Christmas sermon uh, between uh, like the the manger and what it is to have a messiah who is crucified, that the the Christmas story is the Easter story. And it's our invitation in on it. Mm. And it's such a like liturgically in terms of the the church calendar it's such a short time from christmas to easter and yet we're seeing all this stuff about like peace and um uh, the reconciliation of all th- i mean some of my favorite carols like um as far as the curse is found that there's going to be a healing that is as broad as the curse that we experience mm. like and that those few short months between christmas and easter we forget that all those promises are realized in, in that nonviolent life and death and resurrection. And when we disconnect that, that we're waiting for this new world to come and it's arrived in Jesus, we end up with um, the cement- sentimentality of both and it never touching the darkness that we have to confront it never reaches the depth of the cave that the Orthodox has always insisted that, that Jesus was born in the depths of the cave. Mm-hmm. And and we never touch that dark place while we continue to to sever the connection between Christmas and Easter. And in both your witnesses, your your lives and your writings, I hear you wanting to, to uh, sew together um, with with cords that cannot be broken. <laughs> these two stories that demand um a, a love and an integrity and a fierceness of a compassion that is more powerful than what um the, the empires of uh ancient or contemporary demand is the only story and that that's phenomenal mm.
1: yeah that's uh it was as you were talking it was I Well, one, I tease my students because I say they like to make the cradle to the cross jump, right? That is, there's nothing <laughs> in between. Um, but also the evangelical move then is, is Jesus was born to die. But what you're inviting people to do is to see uh, the cross through the birth and the birth through the cross to see the vulnerability of God yeah. in the flesh here with us and for that to open up. How we see ourselves, our own worlds, our own communities, mm. um, and what mm. God is doing in the world. And I think that that's a really powerful, really important Advent message that we all right. need to hold on to Um and a... because Drew
0: uh, otherwise it seems like god gets in the way of this could have been done a lot quicker a lot more efficiently Herod That's should right. just been allowed to kill the christ just child just right away like, what... there, yeah. there we there we go there it's we go a and right back to like jono's point of like what it is that um the the bones of these innocent little ones alongside the birthplace, there, there is, um, particularly in American evangelicalism, but not merely uh, American, but um, so much of pop Christianity, there is a utilitarianism a, um, oh, yeah. uh, of uh, uh, these kids had to get it, so this has significance, okay. which is barbaric. Right. Yeah. Which is absolutely, like, it reverses the gospel. A good thing that that horrific thing happened to Jesus so it doesn't happen to happen to us. Mm-hmm. Instead of, no, 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 this is a lie in the darkness. Don't miss the darkness so you can actually see the light. Yeah.
2: Mm. And I just mm. imagine that Jesus, you know, we never hear that Jesus returns to Bethlehem in his adulthood. At least mm. the gospel writers don't tell us. Mm-hmm. You know, which just sends my imagination to wondering: Did Jesus carry all his life survivor's guilt? Mm. You know, my yeah. family got out of Bethlehem, yeah, but so many of those other little boys didn't, and no. carried, right carried that, and just was like, as an adult, I'm not going to really go barging down into Bethlehem. Like that's the yeah. tender. That is, there are people that are not there anymore because. Herod was looking for me, and I think, you know, Mm -hmm. my own exploration into Advent, I think the thing that surprised me the most was recognizing that Jesus, in his human body, was traumatized.
0: That Mm -hmm. Jesus
2: was the product of generational trauma, that Jesus experienced in real time trauma under the empire. And it changes how I've understood every other story in the gospel, how Jesus mm. relates to the centurion, how he relates, right, to the mm. people of power who he's been victimized or his people. And like, oh. understand that Jesus carried that, tra- like, the quintessential human condition is to be, to bear the marks of trauma in one way or another. Mm. But of course God would have to, right, of course incarnation would have to mm. have that. Yeah. To to, wow. to assume right for Jesus to assume and then be able mm-hmm. to, the one who would release right he had to be able to assume trauma had to be part of his own bodily experience, but the deep hope for me at the end of this was the God who like in the eternal memory and body of God lives trauma, mm. and that gives me great confidence that then God will deal with all of that mm-hmm. slowly, not as fast as I'd like. But because that trauma exists in the eternal body of God, I believe that God is committed to somehow redeeming, restoring that. And it, it was an unexpected thing to think that in reckoning with that darkness, that actually it gave me great comfort. Yeah. That, isn't yeah. that, God, that God is not going to forget it. It is a part. And that God, is the, God will then somehow, at long last, you know, redeemed,
1: yeah, yeah. Mm. And Irenaeus. That's what he mm. assumed he healed, yeah. right? Right, um, yeah.
3: Yeah. yes,
1: yes,
3: yeah. Well, all these images of the darkness of Advent, or even Bethlehem was a place that some people couldn't escape, or that you might not go back to. Uh, I in Chris and his horde, uh. I love this quote so much. I don't recall reading this before, where you know Bonhoeffer's life in a prison cell may well be compared to Advent. One waits, hopes, and does this, that, or the other. Things that are really of no consequence. The door is shut and can be opened only from the outside. I mean, that's such a... yeah. That image of Advent is so <laughs> far away from yeah. these very... The, the kind of light, sort of cheap hope of the way we tell the the christmas story sometimes but part of what's because i do feel like that like this conversation feels so hopeful and so beautiful it's i just find it so interesting that it almost feels like the more we inhabit the darkness of advent and i think jared you said this this sort of uh it's like by going darker there's more light too like almost it, it can't mean anything yeah. unless we descend into yeah. into the depths of the story in this yeah. way yeah And I think
0: so many churches are scared and flick on the fluoros because um, uh, there's a there's a false comfort. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a there's a sense of um, this will protect me against the darkness, um, which God comes to us in.
3: Yeah, well.
0: Hey, Mm -hmm. you lot, this has been so much better than the Star Wars Christmas special.
1: (laughs)
3: <laughs> it actually is. It really is. <laughs> and
1: no Real duets. high bar there. You no, know, me and Jared have been practicing our duets, so next year maybe Oh holy night. I don't know.
2: But we'll I see. still love that song though.
0: <laughs> hey, uh, uh, as as we wrap, I would love to hear from you, mob, What what is what's your favorite Christmas carol? Like what, what's the go to where you're going to get choked up um, uh, as you hold that, um, either battery powered or wax, um, uh, drips on, uh, your hot little hand as you're singing with others.
2: Okay, I mean, Oh come, Oh come Emmanuel is just the one that I, Ooh. it's the one that I can just close my eyes and just let it wash over.
0: Yeah. The, the Sufjan Stevens, um, version that's wow do you have a favorite verse kelly
2: no that can, can i tell you mine yes please
0: um i i love if we can re you, you know your work of like decolonizing and or d whatever d language you, you want to you, use um has reached a place of transformation where you can re-inhabit the language of like satan and demons mm. um and uh I, I don't know how deep in the song it is but there's the the line um uh o come thou rod of jesse free thine own from satan's tyranny from the depths of hell thy people save and give victory over them and it, once you can actually inhabit that language as a na- a way of naming like empires and how em- empires operate and um hear that somehow um this this vulnerable baby is undoing all that which we are so bound up in that Mm -hmm.
3: um that really is uh, i hate to just nod my head that really is my favorite christmas carol and the way i i wrote about it and I've been, I've been seeing it this way in my head, and maybe in the shower. I wish I haven't had a chance to lead anybody to this, but I promise, as soon as I get to any time, maybe it's not till next Advent. I don't know, but any the next time I can be in a room full of people, and it's not Christmas, but during Advent, I have to have the experience of actually seeing it this way together. But I just keep thinking in terms of, um, oh, come, let us wait for Him. And like, I'm actually singing it that way. Oh, come let us wait for him. And the idea of the power of singing that together, we're getting, we're on our way to the adoration. And of course we adore Jesus, but also the power of waiting together. Yeah. That's the, that, that's just the, the quirky thing that happened in my head somehow in all this. And thinking about that lyric specifically in light of Advent. Yes.
1: Yeah. Mm. Beautiful. You know, for me, it's, I, I don't have a favorite. It's not a Christmas carol, so it's cheating just a tiny bit. But um, the song that I always play during Advent um, the most, and I've for many years now, is Stevie Wonder's Someday at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that song, mm. um, it's not entering into the biblical story, but it understands the significance of the That's story, right. you know? Yeah. Well. Um, and it always... it always just brings me to tears every single time. It's um, just powerful. The other song that I appreciate, um, and I'm blanking on her name, but um, in Common Hymnal, she sang the Mothers and Shepherds song for Common. Um, oh, yeah. What's what's her? Um, I can't think. I'm blanking on her name. That's right. not Britney, is it? Yeah, Britney. Sure Britney, I think, did, Britney sing, did Britney sing uh-huh.
3: yeah, Britney Spencer, Britney that? Britney Spencer. Britney
1: Spencer. Yeah, it was Britney yeah. Spencer's song. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really appreciate there's the not only just the lyrics especially how it starts off and then kind of moves in fact that is exactly what we've been talking about right it's it's the Mm. um all the circumstances and the horror and then moving to the really actual good news um in that song as well and so i really that's a newer song but i've really come to appreciate that one as well Yeah,
0: Mm. Mm. yeah for me it's definitely all i want for christmas is you (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's the like,
0: it's mariah's whistle
1: notes it gets me every that's what we I were mean... working on y'all that's what we
3: were working on <laughs> i was really expecting somebody to give a real sophisticated like yeah it's rudolph the red-nosed reindeer and here's how you've never heard it before and, like this very deconstructed
0: yeah like yeah. cool like, reading of rudolph right? But actually- Rudolph is the scapegoat. I am not right, that right.
2: cool. No. I am not that cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, it, oh, holy night. Like, as soon as we get to, like, the slave is our brother, it, the law, his law is love and his gospel is peace, like, that stuff every time. Like, I can never actually sing that because I'm, like, a blubbering mess. Like, um, uh, the, the carols that make me want to put a fist in the air and my other mm-hmm. hand up in praise, that's that's my sweet spot. And, um, (laughs) uh, man, I I, actually we had a friend from the US, um, Jake, who uh, hopefully Jake won't mind me um, sharing this, but um, Jake grew up in Atlanta and um, he was saying that he in the white churches that he grew up, he never knew about that verse, never sung it Mm. until his Mm. adult life and heard it. outside. And it's like, wow. It's, mm. it's not just the biblical text that we mute and edit. Right. It's um, also our carols. Yeah. So maybe next year when we do a Christmas special, we'll have to like do a carol special. <laughs>
3: mm. Where we do deep and deep cuts, did the fifth and sixth verses that get <laughs> cut yeah. out of churches. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, special yeah. The yeah. radical Christmas.
2: Oh, I love it.
1: The hidden Ooh. verses. All right. Well, this has been, well, this so has good been good a gift. Yeah, it is. Mm. So great. So
0: great. Um, truly you, a Merry Christmas um, to, to you lot and to everybody listening. Yep. Um, may your Christmas um, start on the 25th. I think a lot of people were like, oh, Christmas out of the way, instead of it, it being like the, the start um, and, and may it move towards Easter in ways that, um, that are bound together in your body in ways that are good news.
3: Mm,
2: amen.
0: Thank you, Jared. Hmm, accidental that benediction. Now,
3: that also extends the shelf life of our books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, go get you can those still books. get it on the twenty-sixth. Yeah. Christmas yes, just started. Go get those. <laughs>
1: it will be a gift. We, I, this is uh, Jared and I. Dif- we brought them on because we really believe that their resources are going to be such a gift for your own journey, for mm-hmm. your own walk. So we do highly encourage you to. Um, uh really get both of those books. It's going to be really a blessing for you and your well, community. To go
0: full circle, Drew, that family that I mentioned, family, friends growing up um, who didn't celebrate uh, Christmas, one of the things that they did say to their credit is Christmas should be a weekly celebration for us as Easter. Um, so, we encourage you to go get Jono and Kelly's books and read them all year round.
2: <laughs> the gospel awesome. writers didn't write them with a hol- with an ecclesiastical right. calendar in mind. So That's right. That's I think right. there's something really great about Advent in August, you know? Yes. John, yes. Should we collaborate and do a little...
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. I think we really should. I think we yeah. actually should. Advent in August. Well, I mean, it just... I mean, there's In Australia... generation right? I mean, alone...
0: <laughs> in Australia, we do, like, Christmas in July. Well, some people do. I, I, I don't know.
1: The they do it in the States, too.
0: Yeah. yeah, right. Um. So for us, it's like that's the time of year where it's kind of cold. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so for people who are wanting that, like, Northern European experience instead of something you'd get in ancient right. Palestine in terms <laughs> of weather. Right. Um. So so maybe we'll revisit this stuff then.
1: Yeah.
3: Amazing. All right, Thank so... you so much for having, for having us having on. What This time really has been a gift. To me and I, I just i love this community and i, I needed this tonight so thank thank you all for the gift and the community that you pro- provide for so many i tell people all the time just that inverse not just the podcast but the community around it i just don't know any other place where i feel like the the gospel is more faithfully being jammed out and the the way that people are finding mm-hmm. themselves in each other's story it's it's just stunning and i'm so grateful for for what y'all are building so
0: well thanks mate
3: The Inverse podcast is
0: proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.